banks are hunkering down. They are preparing for loans to go bad. And this all sounds bad, but I'm going to take another mongerism here. And I'm going to go invert, always invert. You want to be a buyer of these types of assets when things look bad. I'm Mary Long, and that's Jim Gillies, a senior analyst for Motley Fool Canada. Today, we're hitting the road and putting the spotlight on Canada to get a sense of what investment opportunities exist in America's northern neighbor. Nick Seipel, another analyst for the Fool's Canadian service, caught up with Jim in late November. They discuss how to find upside in a messy housing market, accidental tech companies, and a quality business that specializes in the absurd. Let's set the stage. Most of our listeners here today are going to be American listeners on Motley Fool Money. How do you compare and contrast the Canadian economy with the U.S. economy our listeners are probably more familiar with? Sure. Uh, thanks, Nick. Um, the, the real quick uh, rule of thumb is we're generally about a tenth of your size. Pick any metric you want, GDP, population, uh, you know, whatever. We're, we're generally about one tenth your size. And so, you know, that, uh, you know, we are the size uh, population wise of one of your larger states. Okay. And, uh, you know, we, we are, we are rich in landmass, but we tend to cluster a lot. Uh, we tend to, uh, I believe it's about 90% of our people, uh, myself included, uh, live within 150 miles of the U.S. border or uh, 240 kilometers, if you prefer. We go to McDonald's as much as you do kind of thing. We watch the same movies, have the same pop culture, yada, yada, yada. Where, where we differ, though, is our economy is very tied to a few specific things that uh, tend to go boom or bust. We don't, have a, we don't have much of a tech sector, frankly. And even when we have had a tech sector, cough, cough, Nortel Networks Research in Motion, that also kind of favors the bus side of things. But we, we tend to be very um, focused on uh, finance, so big banks, life insurance companies, that sort of thing. We tend to be very focused on resources. You know, you may have heard Alberta, uh, one of our Western provinces, has the largest, uh, largest oil reserves in the world. Yes, more than Saudi Arabia. It just tends to be in very thick, black, goopy bitumen and not in very, you know, easy to access, light, sweet, crude. You know, so we, we have that kind of exposure to uh, resource prices that can sometimes uh, be a, a bit of a feast or famine up here. Uh, and then finally, um, and I think this is where we're probably going to take the conversation, Canadians kind of fell in love with housing round about the time y'all did, you know, in the early part of the 2000s. The key difference is you had your come to rationality moment somewhat forced upon you in 2008, 2009. And Canadians as a collective kind of went the other direction and put their foot down on the accelerator. And so we're kind of facing some problems today that, uh, uh, that my American friends are probably already more than familiar with. Yeah, lots of similarities between the U.S. and Canada. Some some real key differences, and one of those key differences we'll talk about here in the Canadian real estate market. If you pay really any attention to the to the Canadian economy, it's very clear Canadians have real estate anxiety. When you compare uh, household income in Canada to housing costs, they're at their highest level since the 1980s. Many folks worry that it could hurt the economy. You talked also about real concentrations of folks in, in some of these a few handful of cities. Really, there's not a lot of uh, options to move into other, other places. Jim, what has caused this housing mess in Canada? Boy, how long do we got? Well, 
I'm going to start with uh, the the premise that much like our American cousins in the kind of the early part of the 2000s, we kind of bought the line, uh, or I'll say collectively, the country kind of bought the line that house prices only go up. You can't lose money you know, if you own a house. And so, and there's kind of a bit of a propensity to pay any price. So once you have that mindset, you start to make, and you know, you, that, that's the seeds of FOMO or fear of missing out. And you start to have that plying on people's uh, thought processes. And look, when house prices are going up, everything's great. You feel richer. Maybe, uh, maybe you spend a little more. So that goes into the economy. Maybe that spending is financed by your uh, borrowings on your, or HELOC, for example, on your home, but they, you know, there's kind of that that mentality. Certainly during COVID as well, it was already nascent before that. House prices were were uh, rich before COVID, and then COVID just you know touched the match off, unfortunately. So so there's kind of that one. Um, so that's that's one of the drivers. But then as as we we've, we've kind of come through COVID, and we're now on the other side of it, and you you're talking about derailing the economy. I mean, the the first thing I would say is interest rates have you know done uh, Canadian housing no favors, and, and and this is not something that Americans really understand because uh, I like to tweak my American friends. Uh, and I like to say how, you know, it's so nice that you guys live in a socialist country where you have 30-year mortgages, but, you know, the rest of the world is not like that, where we have governments standing behind our mortgages. And so, Canadians, for example, have to reset or, or renegotiate their mortgage generally every five years. You can get a one-year mortgage. You can get a 10-year mortgage. Rates differ. Most people do five-year increments. And that's a way of the banks kind of sloughing off some of the interest rate risk onto citizens. Now, of course, if interest rates go down in your five-year mortgage, you can renew for your next five years. Most houses are at a 25-year amortization. So, if you're your you're, you're basic standard Canadian, you're going to do five five-year mortgages over 25 years, you no know, extra payments, and that's when you pay it off. And, but you, you are going to carry some of that interest rate risk. The, the other thing that, that has come up is, um, and again, stop me, Americans, if you've heard this one before, you have seen the rise of what I'm going to call exotic mortgages. And what that means here in Canada is you generally used to have kind of a choice between a fixed rate mortgage or a variable rate mortgage. And, and the old bog standard variable rate mortgage would be like, you know, if, if, if the bank, central bank raised interest rates, your mortgage payment would go up that next payment date. If they lowered interest rates, your payment would go down. The problem is the innovation, I should probably do air quotes around the word innovation. The innovation a few years ago was that four of the big six banks introduced a new product, which I'm going to call a static payment variable rate mortgage. Okay, That means when interest rates move, your payment stays the same. That's the whole static payment thing. The problem is mortgage math is actually deceptively easy. There's basically three inputs into determining your payment, the amount you borrow, the interest rate, and the amortization period. Okay. Well, the amount you borrow is kind of, you know that upfront, so we're done there. So, and we're going to hold the interest or we're going to hold the payment steady, right? That's the whole static payment thing. So, when interest rates go up, the only thing that can move is amortization. In other words, the length of time your mortgage is, and that also shifts the, 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 the balance of how much of your payment's going to principal and how much is going to interest. And we have just lived through a year and a half of 
the interest rate going up 1900%, okay? From 25 basis points, the key, the key Fed rate to five percentage points. So 25 basis points, five percentage points. And when you tell people interest rates have gone up 1900%, you know, their eyes will glaze over. But what that's done on these static payment variable rate mortgages, it has exploded the amortization period out now. So if you can go to the four of the big six banks here in Canada that offer that type of product, and you're now seeing 30 and 40% of mortgages with over 30 years of amortization, okay? Quite often over 40 years of amortization. And that is putting a lot of stress on people but they're not yet feeling it because their payment hasn't changed, the whole static payment thing. And the static payment, as, as they start renewing, you need, remember, you need to renew every five years. As you renew your payment, uh, you know, if you overpaid for a house, you chased a house at any, at any price because, of course, house prices only go up. They never go down, as was the thinking. How enthused are you five years after you bought? Let's say you bought in 2019. So it's going to be 2024 coming up. How enthused are you? to hear that your monthly payment could go up 30, 40, 50% even. Can your household budget sustain that? And I think what's dawning on a lot of Canadians is that a lot of household budgets won't sustain that. And the cure for the cure for that is for house prices to fall. But, you know, for everybody who maybe doesn't have a mortgage and is living in their house, that's fine. Uh, you know, people who bought a house within the last five years, who stretched to pay up, who took a variable rate static payment mortgage because the rate was lower and that meant that they could buy more house. Those people, their budgets are going to be imploded. A non-zero number of them are going to lose their houses. Again, go back and look at what happened to the U.S. in 2007 through 2009. And uh, that is the single biggest problem right now in the Canadian mortgage market. The other thing is a lot of people, much like the US, a lot of people are sitting on you know, mortgage rates of one and a half to two and a half percent. And they're like, well, we don't want to sell or move because we'll be renewing or the, the new house we'll be buying, it'll be a mortgage will be at 6%, six and a half, five and a half, whatever. That will, again, jack the price up. So people are sitting. So a lot of these things, so there's, there's not a lot of supply. And then as well too, we, we do have a supply issue in Canada. The supply issue is uh, housing supply. That issue is tied to the fact that we're at record immigration. People have got to live somewhere. We have a, uh, a non-zero number of, uh, of housing units, particularly condos, essentially coming onto the market as Airbnbs or short-term rentals. And then as well, uh, development costs. Like we are on pace this year, 2023, even though we have the supply issue, we are on pace to, deli- to, to deliver less housing units than we delivered last year because, dirty little secret, higher interest rates, most development is also interest-fueled or it's financed. Their cost of development has gone up. We've had inflation, particularly wage inflation. The trades have done very, very well, but the cost to develop homes has gone has, has, has been very expensive. Various cities have laid on more and more um, development charges, which the builders, of course, are happy to pass along to, uh, to to citizens buying their homes. And throughout the whole the ho- throughout the whole chain, owning a house has become economically for for new buyers at least it has become if not economically impossible at least economically not a great idea because you will be basically 
servicing your, your loan for 30, 40, 50 years, given the way that the, the amortizations have gone. And it's going to take more and more of, uh, of your of your paycheck. So it's house prices probably have to come down. They have been coming down since the February 2022 peak. But then that, of course, introduces a whole other set of issues, not the least of which is if you felt wealthier as your house price expanded, guess what you feel as your house price shrinks? Jim, we've talked about a lot of the risks maybe being created uh, in the Canadian real estate market, uh, but are there any opportunities that, that you see or any companies or, or, or banks perhaps that, uh, that, that could emerge from this stronger than others? Sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, this has all been dour and sour and terrible. And well, why would you want to come here? I'm generally one of the most positive people you'll know, but I hide it behind, uh, you know, a veneer of cynicism. And uh, I like to I like to think of it, think of it as munger esque to to do a, a deep cut right now. So the first thing I'm going to say is our banking system. Our banking system is. Unlike the U.S., there you have a couple of giant money center banks, your J.P. Morgans, your Citigroups, your Bank of Americas, and your Wells Fargo's, blah, blah, blah. And then you have about uh, 78,000 tiny little banks and savings and loans. And I'm probably making up a completely silly number, but, but we don't have that. We have six big banks, and they control basically everything. And there are a few smaller, but the, the big six banks. And, and the big six banks are incredibly diverse. So yes, they're into mortgage lending, but they're also into business lending, but they're also into wealth management and investments, but they're also into insurance, but they're also into, um, you know, on and on and on and on. If you pick, you know, if you, if you pick a financial business line, they are probably tied to it one way or the other. They, they control all the deposits. So there's no kind of Silicon Valley style bank runs that are happening. They're all generally well capitalized. Uh, you know, probably the worst of the bunch would be uh, CIBC, which I like to call the bank most likely to walk into sharp objects. But, you know, uh, they're generally the one who, if you, if, you, if you need to ask yourself who has the most exposure to whatever disaster is happening today, it's probably CIBC among the Canadian six banks. But they are very large, very diversified, and they are going to weather this present storm. Okay, And the banks have just started reporting their most recent quarters. In fact, Bank of Nova Scotia reported the day before we've recorded recording this, the next five of the big six will be reporting, I think, over the next two or three days. And what is interesting to me is these are long-term market-beating winners. Okay, The Canadian market is unlike the US market. Our long-term annualized return here in Canada is about 8% for the last 20 years. And if you want to go for like about 45 years, I think, since they were you know, since Capital IQ was uh, uh, keeping data, uh, I believe it's about 8.7%. That is with dividends reinvested. That's a very important distinction because in the US, the S&P 500 does 10, 11% before dividends, 11, 12% with dividends reinvested. So we we have had lower lower aggregate returns. And that is large part because of what I talked about earlier, how we have a lot of, um, a lot of resource companies, a lot of, you know, um, boom and bust in those areas. Uh, we managed to at one point in time have the largest company uh, in Canada, that would be Nortel Networks. That, that one went to zero. That was good. Research in motion. Another one, uh, you know, has lost a lot of its value. Uh, and so a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of hindrances on the index is what I'm trying to say. But the banks are long-term growing winners. They have raised their dividend. Some of them have paid dividends since before Canada was a country. Canada Confederation was in 1867, for those that don't know. Some of them 
predate the existence of Canada, have been paying dividends uninterrupted since before the existence of Canada, the country officially, obviously not the landmass. And they have a habit of raising their dividends on the regular. So right now, you can see, at least in the Bank of Nova Scotia report that came out two days ago, they took larger than expected provisioning. The banks are hunkering down. They are preparing for loans to go bad. And this all sounds bad, but I'm going to take another mongerism here, and I'm going to go invert, always invert. You want to be a buyer of these types of assets when things look bad. And right now, I have on my other screen here, I have the, the valuation of all six, all big six banks since 2023, since 2000. So but almost 23 years, almost 24 years. All six are at valuations that are well below the present or, or well below the average valuation. If you look at just the valuation levels over the past 10 years, uh, one is slightly above what the average over the past 10 years is. That is, again, CIBC. But everything else, the, the setup looks good. They all pay a dividend. I believe the average dividend yield at this point uh, is somewhere around 5.5%, ranging from 4.6% uh, for the banks generally considered the higher quality ones, that cough, cough, Royal Bank and Toronto Dominion, TD, and uh, up to 7.2% for Bank of Nova Scotia, which again is the one that just reported. What I find fascinating about that is Bank of Nova Scotia is one of the two banks, National Bank of Canada being the other one, one of the two banks that did not engage in those static payment variable rate mortgages, and yet it has the lowest valuation slash highest yield. That's interesting to me. Full disclosure, I own some myself. Every Canadian owns bank stock through various index funds and mutual funds, but I own some stock directly as well. But the, the banks are interesting to me because five years from now, we will get through this. The economy will I presume, because economies ebb and flow, we will be on, on an uptick at some point in the next half decade, I have to assume, since that's how we generally have rolled anyway. This is a really great time to be a buyer. The, the only better time I can think of being a buyer of the banks was in 2008, 2009, when of course everything looked like it was imploding worldwide. And it's like, and if you could muscle up and stomach the, the volatility and the the pain of of that time, boy, you've had fun with your bank uh, bank stocks. So these these are these are companies that touch every Canadian's life daily. So I like the banks. We do lack what they're we, all cross listed, by the way. Oh yes, oh yeah, the, uh, yeah. Five of the six are cross listed. The only one that is not cross listed on both the TSX and uh, the American exchanges is National Bank of Canada which is ticker NA on the TSX, does not have a US listing, but Bank of Montreal, Bank of Nova Scotia, TD, Royal Bank, and um, who have I missed? Um, CIBC, of course. They are all cross-listed on US exchanges. So Americans can have um, easy access to, uh, to this thesis. The, you know, as we go beyond that though, again, kind of your benchmark in Canada here is about 8% a year for, for, for your stocks. Uh, and like I said, C uh, not CIBC, um, Scotiabank yielding 7.2. So you're almost going to get, you can almost get, you know, average market performance just by buying the dividend and, and leaving it alone. Uh, Scotiabank will be here, frankly. And also too, I should also mention, all of these banks have significant non-Canadian exposure. So anyone from the Boston area, if you want to go watch the Boston Bruins play, they play, they play at the TD Bank North Arena. 
TD being the Toronto Dominion Bank. I believe the Carolina Hurricanes, yes, I'm doing hockey metaphors here. The Carolina Hurricanes play, at least they used to believe, uh, uh, play at the RBC Arena, Royal Bank of Canada. So they, the Canada has come south. The Canadian banks have come south. They've made various acquisitions. Bank of Montreal's done one recently as well. So there's a, there's a way for for Americans to play, but you know the the one thing that we don't have in Canada, we don't have what we traditionally would call Canadian rule breakers. Like rule breakers, the 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 the, the motif that's been you know obviously made famous among fools uh, by David Gardner. We lack those types of companies. Again, we're very resource based, we're very uh, financial based, but we that doesn't mean we don't have interesting companies that I believe you can make good money on. For context, yeah, there is no Magnificent Seven in Canada. Uh, no. The technology sector on the TSX composite, only about 5.6% of the overall components. You compare that to the US, where the S&P 500, over a quarter of that index, uh, comes from some of these big tech companies. So without those big, magnificent seven stocks to go after, Jim, where are the places you go to look to find big winners in Canada? Well, uh, so can I say that we we have a couple technology companies, but they're kind of I I think they are they're accidents, <laughs> if I may. More that we don't have sectors, okay. Again, I've already mentioned a couple of past technology companies that uh, had um, bitter ends. Nortel went to zero. Uh, JDS Uniphase effectively, you know, did the same. You know, I mentioned Research in Motion. Now BlackBerry. That is just you know you can hear the sucking sound from Waterloo, Ontario, from where I live. You know, it's it's all kind of blown up. But let me uh, let me go to a couple couple tech companies in Canada. One, of course, being Shopify. It's a fool favorite. Uh, it came out of Canada. We found it. Uh, the team Canada found it and put it on a couple of our scorecards when it was a small cap. So now it's a hundred billion dollar company, I believe, uh, or near enough. You know, uh, it, it of course got a little crazy during the the pandemic bubble. Uh, it's come back to earth, but it's still a quality business. It's still working very well, and and so we continue to like it. And I'll go another tech company here, which is sort of a tech company. It's not Magnificent Seven, but it's 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 a company that I consider to be the best company in Canada, and I don't think there's a debate. And that company is Nick. I believe you probably know exactly who I'm going to go with. It's Constellation Software and true to form in Canada. It's got a little bit of a roll up quality to it. Exactly. Yes, that is, that is the name. And I believe I don't have my spreadsheet open now, but I believe the uh, annualized return since its 2006 um, IPO is somewhere in the 35 to 40 percent range. Which is good, <laughs> you know, in a in a country where again, you know, over that same period of time, I'm not sure the market has, with dividends reinvested, done much more than eight. Constellation has been fantastic, and as Nick says, it is a roll up. They, specifically, they roll up small and medium sized software companies that no one else wants, basically, or that that have no um, no pretensions of being other than. Smaller, medium-sized software companies. So rather than you know big software, we get a lot of press. I'm talking about software that helps run restaurants, software that helps run dental practices. You know, software that might be on pay a your parking tickets. Yeah, pay. Thank you. Yeah, like it's 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 a lot of mundane things that we don't think of, but you need software to 
operate run behind the scenes. And it's led by the founder who is kind of a recluse, Mark Leonard, CEO and founder. He's absolutely uh, brilliant at what he has done. He's brought a culture in that I think is second to none. Uh, for example, uh, you get your bonus paid in stock, or sorry, you get your bonus paid in cash if you're an executive there. And then you have to believe, I believe it's about 70%. You have to go buy, if, if you got a bonus and you're an executive of Constellation Software, you then have to take 70%-ish of your bonus and go buy shares of Constellation on the open market because they want you participating in the success of the company, but they're not just going to hose out equity like so many other companies do and just shove brand new shares into your pocket and then we'll buy it back later. Uh, no, like you, you got to have real stakes here, but it's been a fantastic company. It's it's a little large now for what they do. And they've in the recent years, they've started spinning off a few things. Topicus and Lumine are the, the, the two major spinoffs they've done, but it's still been an absolutely fantastic investment. So that's there. there's our tech sector. We don't really have a lot of what I'll call traditional compounders, but we have really great businesses that you can buy at great or fair prices. And so the next one I'll introduce you to is uh, Alimentation Couchetard, or just Couchetard if you want. Americans will probably have no idea who that is until I say they are the parent company and owner of Circle K, the convenience store that you find you know, the gas station nearest you. So if you want, uh, you know, you buy gas, go in, buy little snacks for the road, maybe uh, pick up, a, you know, a week old hot dog. Alimentation Couchetard has spent years rolling up convenience store chains around the planet. They've now consolidated most things in North America under the Circle K brand. But if you go find yourself, fools, a, um, a stock chart, long-term stock chart, say 20 years, what ticker ATD on the TSX, the Toronto Stock Exchange, has done, I think you'll be very impressed. And then just because one of my one of my absolute favorite Canadian companies, because it's absurd, and I I fully admit I I do specialize a little bit in the absurd end of the market. I try to find stories that are off the beaten path that are maybe misunderstood. So take that for what it's worth. But um, And I've mentioned uh, this company before in several places, but it's a company called Stella Jones, SJ on the TSX. Stella Jones is basically the world's largest provider of treated wood railway ties. And as my colleague Ian Butler likes to call it, or our colleague, I suppose, because Nick works with me on Team Canada, uh, he likes to call it the, the State Tree of Nevada, the utility pole, the telephone and utility poles. Yes, they make wood-treated products, essentially. And that's an interesting business because who's going to come in and take it? Like who, like, who gets excited about creosote-soaking utility poles, right? And so what this company has done, it's been a great compounding story for about the last 20 years, stock price compounding. Uh, but it kind of went through a bit of a renaissance over the last seven or eight years or before 2023. It kind of, it reached a valuation that was, you know, excited, excited about 2014, I think 2015, where, you know, you're getting close to 30 times earnings for this business. And so it kind of traded sideways for most of the next decade. And what people didn't realize, or at least kind of ignored, was that 30 times earnings valuation, nearly 30 times earnings valuation uh, almost a decade ago, was kind of a 10 times valuation 
by about the end of 2021, early 2022. And so the subsequently, you know, and that's kind of when we, uh, Team Canada got interested in it, we've recommended a couple services. Stocks doubled in the last year and a bit, even as, uh, you know, a lot of the high flying tech stuff kind of, you know, went, you know, splat. And it's just, uh, you know, they, they, they have a niche, they stick to their niche. They make a lot of cash in that niche. They deploy that cash via dividends, buybacks, and prudent acquisitions, and it's wash, rinse, repeat. And so it's, and, and again, who is excited about starting a competitor to a railway tie and utility pole maker? I'm gonna, I'm gonna hazard a guess and say very, very few, if not no one. Yeah, that's right. So some of these Canadian compounders, not as flashy as maybe the company, the big companies in the U.S., but really find a niche to exploit and have been able to uh, really create value uh, for shareholders from from areas of the market that you know, a lot of folks might not have thought big winners would have come from. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Mary Long. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.